Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today, we'll be talking to Ernie Johnson Jr. himself and hearing how he got his start in sports media. Well, there it is, the old school bell. That is really old school. Uh, I'm Ernie, and, uh, and I hope this is working. I really do. Um, and, and I will explain why we're doing what we're doing uh, as we go along. I'm with you for the next hour, I hope. If, uh, if, your, interest, if your interest level remains where it is, um, and I would really welcome questions from y'all about uh, the broadcasting business. And this is designed to, uh, to answer questions from uh, college kids, high school kids who are into journalism, into broadcasting, uh, would want to see that, you know, possibly be uh, your career. And here's why I'm doing this. Back when I was a journalism student at the University of Georgia way back when in uh, uh, 1977, I graduated in 78 from UGA. But uh, the greatest joy I had when I was in those journalism classes was when our professors, guys like Bill Martin and, and Marcus Bartlett, who had uh, great connections, would bring in people who were actually doing what I wanted to do for a living. He would bring them in as guest lecturers, and sometimes without even giving us a heads up. You know, we'd show up for class and they'd say, hey, for the next uh, hour and 15 minutes, you can ask this guy anything you want. And we would just unload questions about what it was really like to, you know, be, to be in broadcasting and be, you know, you, you doing that uh, for a career. So <clears throat> in all this time that we've been, uh, you know, <clears throat> under this, <clears throat> excuse me, this coronavirus situation, and I was thinking, what can we, what can we do? And I'm, and I'm thinking about college students, you know, athletes who didn't get to play in, uh, in March Madness, you know, had their careers end prematurely. Um, but there are a lot of students out there too, folks like you, who are saying that, uh, man, uh, I may not be back in class. Uh, I, we may not have graduation. Um, and that's tough. And I feel for you. Um, and I said, well, maybe we can do something and I can enlist the help of some of my colleagues and we can kind of talk you through some of this and answer some questions for you. That's kind of a long explanation uh, to get into the fact that tomorrow, uh, my buddy Seth Davis, you've seen him on March Madness coverage on CBS. He's also a great writer and writes for The Athletic. He's going to be on at this time, 2 o'clock Eastern time. The day after that, it's Brian Anderson, the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, and one of our play-by-play guys at TBS and TNT, and probably, well, I don't want to say probably. Look, before it's all over, he will go down as one of the greatest play-by-play men of all time. He's that good. Uh, and on Friday, Matt Weiner, who spent a lot of years at ESPN and the last several were with us at Turner as a studio host, he will be sitting um, and instructing you and uh, actually listening to your questions and giving you some answers. So that's who we have for Tuesday, for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday after today. And then next week, I know Steve Levy of ESPN wants to be involved in this. I've talked to Stu Gotts from the Dan Levitard show wants to be involved. James Brown, I just reached out to him and he said he would be willing to do it if we can find a time that'll work. So I just want to make this kind of a, uh, kind of a cool thing here for the next few weeks and 
And I want you too to, to weigh in and say, you know who I'd really like to hear from is somebody who's doing research or somebody who's a director or a producer. And I'll do my best to get those kind of people on there and, and they can answer your questions as well. How do you make yourself marketable as a sports broadcaster? Which is a very good question. Um, uh, number one, I think, is that you don't try to make yourself marketable. I think if you, I think if you are too intent on, on blowing your own horn or trying to make yourself something, that that can often blow up in your face. I think, um, and I think one of the reasons that our show inside the NBA has been uh, successful for so many years is that nobody on that show, Kenny, Chuck, Shaq, or me, nobody really tries to, to dominate the show or try to make it about themselves. Um, but I think, I think the way you make your name in this profession is by um, being true to your word, working hard, being, I would say, um, reliable, especially if you're a source of news. Uh, I think the way you, the way you make your mark is by being accurate, um, and and I think, uh, I think that's essential. Uh, and and just being, being honest with who you are. I mean, you can you can disagree with Charles Barkley all you want, but Charles has always been a guy who's spoken his mind and doesn't really care if you agree with him or not, but that's who he is. That's how he's not marketing himself, but that's how he's been marketed. He's a, he's a guy who's, who's uh, going to tell the truth and going to give you his opinion. And if you don't like it, okay, that's the way it goes. Uh, I don't think you can, I don't think you can try to be something that you're not. I think my, the greatest advice my dad ever gave me, and he was a, a broadcaster for the Atlanta Braves for ages and ages and ages, did games till he was about 200 years old was be yourself. And I think that's, you know, that seems like very basic um, advice, but it's true. Um, you can't try to become something else. You have to be who you are. Do you think being yourself is better than being too corporate or trying to? I couldn't catch all of that. What's your typical preparation for hosting a pregame or a postgame show? Look, I'm going to get to a lot of these questions in a second. Look, can I, can I back up for one sec? And here's what I want to do is just kind of give you a, uh, like a background on, on how it all started. And when I was sitting in the chair where you're sitting right now and saying, boy, I'm about to graduate or I got one more year. And, and so how am I going to get a job and that kind of thing? So. Back when I was at Georgia, I worked on a, you know, and I think what's really important is getting um, practical experience. I think you really need, I think you really need to be um, in the marketplace, if, if, at all, if at all possible. And I did that while I was in school. I was going to classes, but I was also the news and sports director at a, at a radio station in Athens. So I was doing drive time news and sports uh, in the morning and in the afternoon, and then you know, covering city council meetings and then also going to class and that kind of thing. So uh, it was kind of a tough schedule, but at least I was doing things that were in the actual marketplace. And I wasn't just being told, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to know. And I think that's very important. So when I went looking for my first TV job, and you'll run into this too, uh, I went for my first audition in Albany, Georgia. They had a sportscaster position open. Uh, to anchor uh, at Channel 10 down in Albany, Georgia, small market. 
I went down there and bombed the audition. It was absolutely horrible. And I, I've actually asked the news director who was watching it at the time, and I said, please, let me try this again, because I was so nervous. It was like the movie Airplane. It was like sweat was pouring down my face, and it was, it was just horrible. And, and he told me, that's okay. We've seen enough. We'll get back to you. And I'm still waiting for that call back from Albany to let me know I didn't get that job. But along came Macon, Georgia. And, and here they had a, a news opening, and I went down there and I auditioned, and it went slightly better. You know, it went, it, it went okay, and I was able to actually land that job as a news anchor uh, at WMAZ at the age of 23, so that's 1979. In fact, I haven't had a picture. Here I am, Channel 13, Macon, Georgia. Yeah, same guy. Look at that hair, will you? How about that helmet? Jeez, just needs a face mask and a logo on the side. Anyway, I, went, I was there for a year and a half, anchoring the news down there in Macon. And, um, and what you'll find yourself doing is trying to put enough things down on a tape um, so that somebody will hire you in a bigger market. Macon was the 135th market in the United States out of like 225, 230, something like that. So I was in market 135, and I, I got a chance. And again, keep your ears open, because there was somebody working at WMAZ Radio at the time, because it had radio, radio and TV. His name was David Price, and he saw me in the newsroom one day, and he said, you know, they're looking for a general assignment news reporter in Spartanburg, South Carolina right now. He said, a buddy of mine just told me that. So as quickly as I could, <clears throat> I fired off a tape to Channel 7, WSPA in Spartanburg, and they hired me. Um, and I stayed there for a year. And again, I think, I think what, you, what you're going to find yourself doing as you get into the marketplace, you're, just, you're trying to um, totally just improve and improve and improve and always be your own worst critic. I mean, don't be afraid to look at a tape. If you know that you botched a story or you did a terrible live stand-up, or, or you were anchoring and you, and you had a terrible segment, don't be afraid to go back and look at that and say, why was this so bad? Why would, you know, why was, and don't ever try to sugarcoat and say, well, it wasn't that bad. Sure, you, you have to be your own worst critic. And so, um, you know, as you, as you keep going, uh, I got to the point in Spartanburg where I was like, man, I would really like to work in Atlanta. You know, it's kind of where I spent most of my most, most of my life, I grew up in Milwaukee, then went to, went to uh, Atlanta when I was like eight or nine years old. So, um, again, I, the first place I tried was WAGA-TV, Channel 5 in Atlanta. They didn't hire me. Said, we don't, we're not looking right now. And then uh, WSB in Atlanta said, uh, yeah, we're looking. And I, uh, you know, I went in there, showed them my tape. They hired me as a general assignment reporter. And... Um, so, so then, so then this happened. There you go. So that's that's WSB in 1982. And so if if you're saying, look, um, you're saying, so okay, so, so how did the sportscaster thing happen? It, it happened, and look, a lot of this, a lot of this is luck and it's timing and and in my eye it's divine intervention i think 
I think, you know, God's got a plan and, and sometimes it comes right out of the blue when you're least expecting it. And I was, uh, when I started at channel two and I was a news reporter for a year and a half, and then suddenly the news director who hired me got fired. A new news director came in and on his first day, I just happened to be filling in for one of the sports guys. And I was doing a live shot at the Atlanta stadium before a Braves game. And I came into work the next day and his secretary said, Rabin would like to see you. He was the new news director. And I'm like, well, his first day on the job, his first full day on the job, he's calling me into his office. So I'm thinking, okay, get, you know, get your box and throw all your stuff in it and go. And what he actually said was, have you thought about doing sports before? And I said, well, I used to do it on the radio. I said, but I thought I was kind of, I thought I was kind of, you know, into the news thing now after Macon and Spartanburg and, and Atlanta to start just as a news guy. And he said, no, I think, I think I'd like to see you on the sports end. And that changed the entire trajectory of my career because um, I anchored the sports for seven years at WSB. And, um, and then the folks at Turner came calling. Um, let me see if I have, I may have another... This is, this is a very rudimentary way of doing this, you know, having these uh, visual aids. Let's see, here's another, uh, it's, that's a Turner picture. Here's a WSB picture. Here's the hardworking journalist um, preparing for the weekend sports. That's that thing that I'm working on, that's called a typewriter. That's what we used to have to use before computers. It's an actual typewriter you had to put paper into it it had carbon paper and had copies made i know it's hard to it's hard to comprehend um but there you go so then i go to turner uh the folks there don mcguire uh let me say something about don mcguire and let me tell you folks there are going to be people in your career that you meet um who do change the course of your career. I talked about Raven Matthews, the news director who made me a sportscaster when I was a newscaster. You talk about Dick Mallory, a guy who hired me at Channel 2 when I didn't know if I had what it takes to work in a big market like that. Uh, and it goes back to, you know, Al Cammy in Spartanburg, and it goes back to Jim Elrod in, uh, in Macon, Georgia. Um, and so all of these people are going to have a huge impact because they – believe in you enough to give you a shot. And Don McGuire did that for me uh, at TBS, Don McGuire and Bob Wessler. And we lost uh, Don the other day, which was stunning news uh, to all of us at Turner. He, uh, he passed at the age of 70, had a heart attack. Um, and it was a stunning bit of news for all of us who, who know Don and thank Don for the opportunity that he gave us uh, at Turner back in the day when TNT was just getting started. You know, he's the guy who said, look, um, we're going to move Craig Sager from the, from the desk out to the sidelines. And Craig became one of the best sideline reporters of all time. He said, we're going to put you in the chair as the host of the, of the, the NBA on TNT. And I've been in that chair ever since. And it only happened because Don McGuire put me in it. So you're going to run into folks. I talk to you college kids. You're going to run into folks who change your life. Never forget them. Never forget them. There it is. Wow, what a publicity shot that is for working at TBS and TNT. Man alive. So anyway, 
Um, that's where, that's where I've been for the last 30 years. Um, and, um, you still do a lot of writing. Look, I think writing is huge. I think when you talk about what are the skills that you need, uh, when you're going to get into this business, I think, I think it's often overlooked and which is too bad. I think having the ability to tell a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end is absolutely vital. And I think that's what you have to master, first of all, is, is, is being able to organize your thoughts in a way that it's understandable, that, if, uh, that the, the viewer or the listener can relate to the story and can follow the story. It's not about you trying to prove how smart you are and say, I'm going to throw six or seven syllable words out here and let the audience know how smart I am. The thing is, make your story understandable and make it flow. And I think the way that you're able to do that is you've got to practice writing. A lot of times, just write for fun. You know, this is a time, guys and, and girls, this is a time, men and ladies, guys and girls, what am I doing? Look, um, we're in a really weird time. Um, none of us know what this is like. Look, 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 my mom is 91 an asthmatic at 91. And I worry about her. I worry about my son, Michael, who's 31. He's on a ventilator and he has been for the last nine years. So I worry about them. And I worry about other folks that, that I've seen. I mean, sometimes putting on paper, the stuff that's rattling around in your mind is really helpful. It's really cathartic for you. And it's also a way that you can you can organize your thoughts. You can tell a story. Maybe it's not going to get printed. Maybe it is. Maybe you're going to write about living through this time and you're going to put it online. And maybe somebody, maybe it's going to help somebody. I mean, you have to think in those terms these days. There are so many outlets for your talent. If you're a good writer, let people know. Show it to folks. It, you know, it's one thing to write it and then put it in the drawer. It's another thing to write it and say, I'm going to post this. And there are any, you know, you put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, put it on Insta, put it wherever you want. But you never know how it might impact somebody out there. Um, and it will help you in your craft as, as you learn how to write and how to express yourself and how to tell a story. Um, yeah, writing has never died is, is something I see right there. You're absolutely correct. Why do you believe entry-level candidates have a hard time finding a job? Uh, because there are so dang many of us, that's why. Um, and it was that way when I was in school, too. Uh, and again, um, what I think is going to be beneficial to you in the, in the days to come, you know, I'm 63 years old, okay? I've got some younger guys who are going to be on. One guy I really want you to listen to is Adam Lefko. Um, uh, I'm going to talk to Adam and see if I can get him to teach this class uh, one of these days next week because um, he's a younger guy. He came up through the, uh, you know, back when I was coming up, it was, hey, work, work at a small TV station, pay your dues, learn your stuff, make your mistakes, and try to work your way to the top. There were more avenues for you these days to get yourself seen and to let your talents be seen. I think Adam would be a great guy to talk about in, in terms of using all of those avenues, too. Um, but again, it's a tough market, and it's very, very um, competitive. And you will find yourself 
you can have great friends in that classroom wherever you are. And you may find yourself competing with him for the same job, him or her for the same job. That's just the way it is. And I saw a lot of, a lot of kids when I was in school who had dreams of being broadcasters who gave it up simply because the competitive nature of that and the beating you take from getting another letter that says, no, we don't have anything. It's hard. I, I, I'm not going to BS you about that. Uh, and it takes you a lot of, uh, it's going to take a lot of gumption. It's going to take a lot of grit. And it's going to take a thick, a thick skin uh, to say, okay, here's another guy who says I can't do it, but I know I can. And I think, I think that's what comes along. I mean, I think about going to Albany and going to Atlanta and having guys say, no, you're not good enough. Okay, well, maybe the next guy is, is going to think I am because it is a, a subjective business. But again, you have to be totally honest with yourself. You have to be your own worst critic. You have to be the one, if you say, man, I've been looking out here for 10 years and haven't had a nibble, maybe this isn't what you should be doing. And sometimes that's the toughest thing to admit. But it's very competitive. And I think one thing that I've always talked about, is, number one, is trying to get... Um, you know, practical experience while you're in school. I think that gives you a leg up. And then the other thing is, is to be the hardest worker in the room. And that's always been the way I've looked at it. Nobody is going to work harder at this. than You might be better than me. You might be a better communicator. You might be more polished doing this. But nobody's going to ever be able to say, oh, no, I, I worked a lot harder than he did. No, uh, because that's what I need to do. I'm not, I'm not gifted as this, you know, this brilliant guy who, who has these wonderful ideas that come to mind without even trying. Uh, I got to work at it. And, uh, and so I've always told myself, nobody's going to work harder than I am. What was the transition like <clears throat> from small to large market? What was the main thing you had to change? Okay, so here's the deal. Um, and that's a great question because there, there are real differences between small market and, and, and bigger market. I was always taught when I was in school at Georgia, look, if you're a news guy, you do not do commercials. You do not do any, you don't promote anything. You don't do any of that stuff. Well, I got to Macon. And the first thing I had to do when I got to work in Macon was sit down in, a, in an audio booth and go through like 30 pages of tags for commercials. You know, that was the first thing I did when I sat down long before I started working on uh, how am I going to what am I going to read on the news tonight? It was available at red and white stores in Unadilla and Vienna, Georgia. Get yours at Rexall Drugs. And it was it was all the lines that came after a commercial. So I had about 30 of those to do. And then they sent me down to a used car lot to do a commercial. And I told the news director, I said, look, I just got out of journalism school. Grady School at Georgia, one of the best in the world. I said, and I was always taught, you do not do anything. If you're a newsman, you don't do this stuff. You don't touch that. And my news director said, we don't have the budget here in Macon to pay somebody to do commercials and do the news. So you're doing them both. Now get out there. So that, that afternoon, I'm sitting here pounding on the hood of, a, of an old car saying, the used car shop at at Barney A. Smith, Lincoln Mercury has everything you need in a late model used car. And then I would go back and anchor the news. It was crazy. So 
that was, you know, that was one of the things I did in a small market like Macon. Uh, and then you get to a big market like Atlanta and everybody there has got experience. You're, it's actually intimidating, uh, to be totally honest. And you ask anybody who, when they get their, their first day on the job in a big market like, like Atlanta or you name it, any big market, you're going you're gonna to be intimidated because Number one, I have watched a lot of Atlanta news through the years, and suddenly I walk into the newsroom and I'm seeing all these guys that I've watched for, for eight to ten years saying, oh, man, these guys have covered every big story. They're really good. And I think that was, that was one of the things that I had to – you really got to put your head down and go. That's when, that's when you say, I'm going to prove myself. And, you know, that's, that's what you need to do. Maybe some of the stuff that you, that you got by with and they just kind of turn the other way and make it in Spartanburg – you know, you do that in Atlanta and suddenly the news director invites you in and says, what are you doing? What was that about? Why did that not make sense? You know, why would you do a stand up there? Well, that's the way I always did it in Spartanburg. So, look, it, it, there's part of that learning curve. And then and, and it's, a, it's at that kind of a place at, at, in your career where you say, this is where I really have to prove that I can do this. Um, but again, that's a little down the road. Get that first job right now, guys. You know. Get your foot in the door somewhere, you know. I'm maybe I wanted to be, maybe I wanted to be a sportscaster right off the bat, but news was what hired me, and so anytime I, anything I could do to get in that environment, that was the most important thing for me. Uh, oh man, I wish I had just seen that. Um, which is someone? It was about storytelling. Um, What's the best advice in creating a reel? What should I emphasize? That's a great question. Uh, and, and, here's, and here's what I've always told folks, because I've seen different ways that folks construct their, their demo reels. And I also know that, you know, from having been in news directors' offices over the years where they've got a stack of tapes this high of all these people who want this one general assignment reporter job. So... When they pop that tape in, you need, when you pop that tape, when he pops that tape in, he or she, she needs to see something right away. It says, whoa, hold it. Let me take a look at this. Don't feel like you have to build up to this. I'm going to start with this and then this. And then six minutes into my demo reel, I'm going to hit them with the piece de resistance. And they're going to say, oh, what a great piece. By that time, they've taken it out and thrown it away. Uh, so hit them right, hit them right between the eyes from the start with, this is who I am. This is what I can do. Here it is. Boom. And, and you need examples. You know, you obviously your best examples of your work on the air. Don't make it too choppy. I've seen, I've seen too many reels that come up cross with, here's a question I asked a player. Then you didn't hear the answer. You know, it's like, what did you think about this? Boom. And then it cuts to something else. And it's like, sure. We want to see what you like, but we also want to see how a, how an athlete responds to a question. And we want to see if it was a good question, not just, look, I know how to ask a question. So kind of, you know, show them your best stuff. Uh, don't leave them saying, then what happened? But at the same time, make it short and sweet. Um, and I think, and I think you, you got to hit them with that. It, make them want to say, hey, hey, I like that. And they give you a call and say, what more can you show me? Have you done anything like this or this? That's the, that's the key. If you can get them to say, hey, I like this. I'm interested. What else you got? Then you're on to something. But what you don't want is them to, 
fall asleep after three minutes of your of your sizzle reel, and then uh, and then the tape is gone forever. Don't want to do that. College suggestions for this field. There are a lot of great, there are a lot of good ones. At the top of the list is the University of Georgia. That's where I went. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that uh, you know that's that's the place. I mean that's uh, and I'm so impressed with that. I mean Florida is great. Northwestern is great. Syracuse is great. Um, there are so many good journalism schools, and and what they've all done uh, is that they've become their own TV stations. I mean, that, it wasn't like that when I was at Georgia. We had a little bit of a studio where you could try and, you know, practice doing things. But, I mean, a lot of these places are putting on actual newscasts in the communities where they are. So you're getting that kind of experience. Um, I would say those are the best. I would, you know, I, I put Georgia at the top of the list. Um, I've got a lot of friends who went to J School in Florida and Syracuse and Northwestern. Those have been probably the top, the top four for me. Um, but, uh, let's go on. How hard is it to balance family life and work life with such a hectic schedule? It's very tough. Um, that, you know what? And that is to me, that's one of the, the things It doesn't matter if you're going to get into this business or if you're going to, no matter what business you're going to be in, that's going to be the rub. How do you, how do you balance family and work and the responsibilities that, you know, you have a demanding news director, you have a demanding executive producer, you have, um, and you have demands at home. Uh, there's really no easy answer on that. And I, and I think part of it, to be totally honest with you, is that um, early in your career, it's hard not to just be driven by the job. And I think early in your career, um, it's actually easier to excel, if that makes any sense, if you don't have any other responsibility. Okay, I wasn't married right when I got out of college. And that was probably good for me because I didn't mind answering the phone at all hours of the night when they'd say, hey, we got a, there's a fire downtown. Good, I'll go shoot it. Hey, there's this. Okay, I'll, yeah, you, anybody else want to work this meeting tonight? And it's like, yeah, I'll do it. Anybody, hey, how about uh, this holiday? No, I'll work. I got nothing going on. It is, though, when you have the meaningful things of life that, that happen, when you get married, when you have kids, and you will see at that time um, and not how unimportant your job becomes, but how your job takes its rightful place in your list of priorities. And then you have to be really intentional um, about making sure that you make the time for the things that matter the most. Sure, you're going to have things that you miss. We all do. Uh, I've missed a lot of stuff. My dad missed a lot of my games when I was when I was growing up. And you know, he's he's a baseball announcer. I know. Hey, he's going to be out of town a lot. Um, but you know, he was really great at when he had the time to share and the time to spend, he would do it. I think that's the intent. I think that's the most important thing. You've got to be intentional um, about that. And don't, and if you're not, if you're not, um, your work's going to suffer and your family life's going to suffer both. What's the most important part of a question when doing an interview? Thank you, Peyton, for that. The most important part of a question when doing an interview is listening to what the answer is. Uh, 
I don't I think you get you can get way too concerned with how this how this question is going to sound and am I going to sound really erudite is that erudite see why would I use that word and not be totally sold on how it's pronounced am I trying to sound too smart when I ask this question or if that's the deal and you don't listen to the answer and I've seen it many times and, and, and I'll say this I was guilty of it when I started out and I've seen it with a lot of uh, with a lot of young journalists too is that you're so concerned with answer with asking the questions that you've prepared for this interview that you don't listen to the answer so you ask this great first question and then the and then the player that you're talking to says um, yeah that's a really good point and that's why I'm going to retire in fact I've played my last game uh, and I'm retiring at the age of 28 so what's your favorite thing to do in your spare time so again you're so concerned with here are the questions that you you don't listen to the answer and say, oh, 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 did you just say you're going to retire? You know, and that's an extreme example, but it happens. You, you get too concerned with how it is my question sound and you don't listen enough. The most important part of doing inter any interview is being a good listener. Um, there we got somebody from Arizona State. That's awesome. Indiana University, Bloomington. Love it. Michigan State, University of Florida, Fresno State. This is so cool. Uh, and, I, and I so appreciate you guys doing this. And I kept looking and I say, man, I hope we're not running out of time. We still got time, so it's good. It would pain me so much to go to Georgia or Florida for journalism as a Tennessee fan. You know, C.L. Skelton. Uh, I have a story about the University of Tennessee, as a matter of fact. Let me tell you. Okay, I'm going to use my, let me see if I still have my uh, my visual aids over here. I may have tossed something. Anyway, I played, I played baseball at the University of Georgia, okay? Again, when you talk about why'd you get into this, I wanted to be a baseball player, which was what my dad did for the Milwaukee Braves back in the 50s. So I wanted to be a baseball player, and I walked on at the University of Georgia as a freshman and then was told to walk off as a sophomore. Okay, so I played one year. But my one career RBI at the University of Georgia in 1975 came at Knoxville, Tennessee, at the University of Tennessee, uh, an RBI single to left center field that knocked in the go-ahead run for them dogs, and we had the lead over Tennessee. This was back when the balls had Conbridge Holloway and Rick Honeycutt, who's still the pitching coach of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. And so I potentially had the, had knocked in the game-winning run in a game that would clinch the SEC East for us. So we go back in the field, and we're up by a run, and I'm thinking, this is great. I might even get my picture in the red and black. You know, the backup first baseman finally comes up with a big hit. And then a, a guy for Tennessee hit a grand slam in the bottom of the last inning, and we lost. Anyway, there you go, C.L. Skelton. Don't worry about who you root for. You know what? At some point, you're going to have to lose that allegiance or not make it so visible. And it's, it, it's actually a kind of a funny way to get to that question that you asked because you're – you know, you're a Tennessee guy, 
man, I don't know if I want to go to a place where I got to cover the dogs and cover the gators and that kind of thing. But you'd be amazed at, at how your allegiance kind of fades away. I, I, you know, I was, I'm a Georgia guy. I'm working in Atlanta. I'm covering Georgia and Georgia Tech all the time. And I, and I developed so many great friendships with folks at Georgia Tech, from Bobby Crimmins to Bobby Ross to Pat Swilling and all these guys. And, and you just appreciated them. And, and so you didn't show any favoritism. You know, you just, you know, you, it was one of those things that you can't let it happen. Because I, I actually had people listen to me. I would, I'd be anchoring the sports on a weekend. Georgia will have played. Georgia Tech will have played. So I give the Georgia-Tennessee highlight a minute and 15 seconds. I give the Georgia Tech-Citadel highlight 48 seconds. Part of it's the magnitude of the game, how many scoring plays there were, how much people care. And I would still get phone calls from Georgia Tech people saying, you gave that Georgia highlight a minute and eight, and you gave Georgia Tech 53 seconds. I'm like, man, alive. Uh, really? Uh, and we know you went to Georgia, and it's like, man, so it's out there. And, and so you do have to do that. I'm not saying everything has to be equal, but you have to do your dead level best. You can't, you know, you can't be waving pom-poms, you know, when you're, when you're out there working. How did your first show at Turner go? It actually went okay, um, as I recall. And it was a funny thing because I had, um, when I left WSB, uh, and started at Turner, I was doing, they made me sit out a six-month no-compete. My old station made me sit, sit out for six months. I couldn't be on the air. When I finally got on, I was doing like, you know, a halftime show for a Hawks telecast or something like that, and it went fine. Um, but there were times, and we had a couple, I had a couple of those shows that were just absolute stinkers. Um, and, um, and that's one of the things that you just got to get used to. When you first start out, uh, you think if you make a mistake, that everybody in the world has stopped what they're doing at home and is suddenly crowded around the set and saying, wait till you see this guy try to read the news. Um, but I think what you learn with more and more experience and more reps is that you just got to play that stuff off, uh, that nobody's going to be perfect, and that um, it's never quite as bad as you think it was until you look back at it and you can beat yourself up. But um no, those, you know, those early shows were fine. I think it was, uh, um, you know, it was nothing that really stood out uh, uh, until, you know, a couple of years in, I had a, I had a, you know, Tim Kiley came from ESPN was our, and this, and this is a true story, and I, and I own this story, and, I, and I'm not going to ever say it didn't happen. So, so Tim Kiley comes from ESPN, <clears throat> where they specialize in, okay, we're going to do these highlights, you know, up to the minute highlights. This this bucket just happened. I know you haven't seen it. Uh, you know, he says to the anchor, "I know you haven't seen it, but just wing it and, and do this." So, what happens is I um, I have this show, and they're throwing last minute highlights out at me. And this is this is a guy who, up to that point, we had pretty much kind of settled into this rhythm of, "Hey, uh, while the game was still on, here are the highlights for the for the uh, Knicks game, so you can see it before you do it in the post game show." Uh, suddenly that, that wasn't the way we were doing things. A lot of times it was like the post-game show would hit, and here was a highlight I hadn't seen. So I was kicking them out, and you know, I, was, I was making mistakes, and I was ticked off. And, and so Tim Kiley and I had this conversation after the show, 
Uh, and I was telling him what made me comfortable doing my job. And he said, well, here's my philosophy on how we do sports. And we were kind of going back and forth. And, and Tim's a great guy. I mean, he's the best producer I've ever worked with. But um, it got heated. And um, we're walking down the, down the hallway at Turner, and we're kind of raising our voices at each other. And I turn to go into the bathroom and rinse out my coffee cup. And we're still kind of jawing at each other. And I took the cup and I threw it against the wall. And it's, the, it's this porcelain cup and it shattered into a million pieces. And uh, boom, that was the end of the conversation. And I loaded up my stuff and I, I went home for the night. And I came back the next day. And there was a box on my desk from Tim Kiley. I opened it up and it's a new coffee mug. And it's, it's a white coffee mug. It has like newspaper print in it and a red and a red square on it and says, postal worker needed. And I was like, wow, this guy gets it. This guy is really something. He's like, he saw me. He saw me at my worst. He saw me go a little nuts. Uh, but he wants to work with me and he wants this thing to work. And all I could do at that point was say, sometimes you've got to change to make the show better. And, and that was one of those moments. Um, I still got that mug. It's still in my office over at Techwood. Is it better to start at a local station or in digital? That's, that's a great, you know, to me, uh, I think you might have, you might have opportunities in digital before you, before you get one at a local station. Um, my thing is always whoever's going to hire you first, who's, whoever's going to give you a chance, you go because you don't, you never know how that's going to morph into something else. That's why I took that job at Macon. They, they hired me to do the news, even though I was thinking, well, I sure would like to be a sportscaster. But things have a way, once you get in there, of, of working, you can kind of work to where you want to be. You know, you're working at one of these stations, say, and you're telling the news director or somebody, hey, look, if, if anything comes up and you ever need some help in sports, I love sports, I'll help. You know, and, and, and that kind of thing, that kind of thing can, can open doors for you. Um, I think the digital side, sometimes if you work for a dot-com or somebody like that, and you may not get the on-air reps as much, but if you're in that atmosphere and you're learning that, you can always come up with an idea that you can pitch to somebody. And I mean, I mean, people these days, producers these days, are always looking for somebody to say, wow me with an idea, you know? I don't, we don't have to keep doing everything the same way. You know, so if you can be on, you're in that, you're in that element um, and you're working and you say, you know what I think would be a good idea. I would like to do a 30 second little commentary every now and then that you could throw into somewhere. And it would just be something that, you know, my thoughts on something. And they might, they might say, you know what, sure, you know, we'll, we'll give it a try or, you know, show me an example. That's all you want is for, is for them to say, show me what you're talking about. Maybe it'll work. They're always looking for good ideas. So, um, yeah, which, you know what, whoever's going to do it, who's ever going to give you a shot, those are the, that's, that's where you go. I mean, especially when you are, um, especially when you're at that point in your career where you just want to get started, um, you don't have a whole lot of picking and choosing to do, uh, unless you're extremely, extremely talented and, and have this, unbelievable skill set where everybody and their brother wants you to work for them, then you got a choice. But if you say, no, I don't want to work there because that's too small, 
or I don't want to do that because I can only anchor three times a week. Take it. Get in that element. Be doing what you've been trained to do, um, even though it may not be the ideal situation at that point. As a sophomore sportscaster writer at UF, what advice do you have for college students? Um, well, first thing, I mean, I think, and I've been through this a little bit, is just try to get as much practical experience as you can, whether that's writing for the student newspaper or being on the, you know, the student radio station uh, or, a, or a local radio station. Um, I, it's just to me, that was, that was so important when I was coming up. Look, you know, I would, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning when I was still in school get down to the radio station so I could do the news and sports from six until nine, you know, every half hour or something like that while they're spinning Q105, you know, playing top 40 stuff. And now here's your news and sports update with Ernie Johnson. Okay. And then I would do that. Then I'd go to class and then I would do the same thing in the afternoon. Um, but here's the deal. When I got to class, I had classmates who were, who were being instructed on how to, how to put an audio cut onto a, piece of tape so it could be used in a newscast. And I'd been doing that with, you know, on my third cup of coffee since five o'clock in the morning. So um, I just feel like it gives you an advantage. Um, and again, you know, think about the opportunities that are out there, the way the, the way, uh, you know, the internet is the way, you know, it's just, there's any number of ways to be noticed uh, and try to get your work seen. And we've seen that in entertainment. You see it all, all the time. I mean, you see somebody who writes a song and then gets a billion views on it, and suddenly they're on Ellen, you know? So it happens. But I'm not saying that it's the, that it's the easiest thing in the world to do. And, there, and to me, there's still no, there's no substitute for working hard at what you're doing and, and trying to, you know, work your way up, make your mistakes, um, and, and get all the experience uh, that, you can, that you can have. Ooh, what's your favorite beer? I know you're from Milwaukee. Uh, I got my start as a blogger and morphed into podcasting. Yeah. Again, that's, um, that's, what, that's one of the new waves to me. You know, obviously, it wasn't available when I, was, uh, when I was coming up. With me, it was like you had, a, you had a TV that got a certain number of channels, and it didn't have a remote. And you had UHF and VHF, and you had three networks. And ESPN had just started, CNN had just started. So um, you really only had a couple of avenues back, back in the day, and you have so many more now. I mean, if you have, you know, you, you, you have a blog that gets readership, and then it goes into uh, you're doing a podcast. One of the most fun things I've had with Chuck uh, has been doing this Steam Room podcast. Yeah, we did 11 episodes, and we can probably do some more once everything settles down. But I love doing that, and I think it's a different outlet. And, and so uh, you never know. You never know where, um, where, it, where it might take you. Um, but the thing is, you can't just wait for the ideal situation. I think when you, when you see opportunities come up, you got to jump. Any advice for local sports news to national outlet? jump if you want to go from uh you want to go from local sports i mean it's like okay i went from wsb a local station in atlanta to 
national outlet in TNT and TBS. And others are, you know, going sportscasters, gone from local to ESPN. Do you need an agent for something like that? I think, I think that's always good advice. Uh, I think that, um, uh, and for any number of ways. I mean, I've been represented by the same folks forever by career sports and entertainment, a guy named Lonnie Cooper, um, who is, uh, what I always say about, about career sports is that all these guys were absent the day that at agent school they taught they taught you how to be you know uh, such a jerk you know because these guys are actual nice dudes and they were and they always looked out for me and my family and i think uh sure they help you when you're negotiating a contract they're the ones who are in the room so you don't have to hear the things that are being said about you you know you don't they're there to defend you they're you know and it's that's one of the things that you love about it is it, it takes you away from that. And they're the ones, you know, they look for the, for the fine print and, they, and they're going to say, hey, we got a few other things taking care of you, taking care for you in this next deal uh, on your travel and on your meals and on this or on a wardrobe or how many years the, the deal is going to be. And, um, and then they're looking out in case, um, in case things aren't working out at the place you're at. You know, so uh, I'm, I'm all about the value of, uh, of representation and especially of quality representation like, like the guys at uh, career sports and entertainment. So if uh, I don't remember your name, who had the, who had the, uh, the tweet there, but look for CSE in Atlanta and uh, tell them Ernie sent you. <laughs> Ernie, let me know if you need a day off sometime. I, I, look, I've got enough days off, uh, I think. Uh, those are being taken care of in the, in the course of this. Um, what should I do as a high schooler? Uh, that's a great question. Um, thank you, Ben. Um, and you know, here's what I, the first time I actually was, was doing, I don't want to call it broadcasting, but I did the announcements. I was at Marist High School, and on occasion I would do the afternoon announcements. So I would, you know, I'd say the uh, tennis team has a match this afternoon at 3.30. Please come out and root for them. Uh, tomorrow, the lunch will be, you know, a mystery meat. And, uh, and it looks like they're cutting the grass. So it will be some type of green vegetable. You know? So, and at the same time, um, I, would, I would take, you know, one of these Radio Shack tape recorders. Because look. One of the weirdest things that's going to happen to you is when you see yourself or hear yourself, um, because it's not going to sound like you and you're going to say, man, does that, is that really me? Um, and I used to take a Radio Shack tape recorder and I would read the newspaper into it and then I would play it back. And if it, and if the radio and if it sounded like um, two people were injured today when a, a car overturned on Highway 35, if it sounded like that, then I said, I need to punch something up. I need to. I, so I would really listen to that. And I'd say, that's really boring. And I, I certainly did that after the first thing that I did at, at uh, the University of Georgia campus radio station, because the first thing they had me do there was something called Hockey Corner, in which I, um, I explained the game of hockey to Southerners, because hockey was relatively new at that point. And I wrote this thing up, describing the game and how it's played. And then I read it, and they put it on the air, and it was absolutely 
horrendous. It was just the game is played on a sheet of ice and it's on the bomb, the puck is on it's vulcanized rubber and everything. And it was just I see, I can't believe that Alfred Rothstein, who was the sports director at WUOG at the time, I cannot believe that he even gave me a chance to do anything else after that. Um, but you gotta listen to yourself. You gotta hear yourself. You gotta hear what other people are hearing. Because you know, I would I would, you know, come back to my to my apartment in Athens uh, after being on the air at WUOG. And I knew the guys, my roommates, you know, I, was, I knew that they had it on, you know. And, and I, so I kind of expected when I would walk into the apartment, they'd say, hey, that was good, man, good sportscast. And it was instead they were like, so, where you been? Uh, well, I was just, you know, I had the, I had the afternoon sportscast today. Yeah, we heard it. Hey, so how was it? Yes. Yeah, that's all right. And so you kind of got the idea somehow, even through all those times when, when you're kind of wondering if this is what you're going to do, somehow you, you get through it. Um, is there ever a time to say no to an assignment or a job offer? Sure. I mean, uh, again, I think that comes to, um, look, if you've got a job, in the industry, then the next job needs to be a step up. Okay, so if it's not, if it's a, if it's a lateral move, if you're saying, okay, look, I'm in Macon right now, but I could go to Savannah for the same money, or I could go to Columbus for the same money, and they're all kind of basically the same, the same thing. Then you got to say, well, I don't know. It's I'm I'm going to be doing the same thing, basically for the same money, and it's really not a jump up then yeah, sure, there can be a time you say, no, I don't, I don't think I want that. But now if you're saying, okay, so I'm doing the news and making, hey, but there's a Monday through Friday sports op opening in Columbus, Georgia, and they'll give you a little more coin, and you, I'm there. That's what I want to do. That's along the path that I want. Uh, but, you know, there's, uh, there are certainly times. But, look, if you're just starting and you don't have a job, and you're wondering if anybody ever wants to hire you and somebody is offering you a job, then, um, then you're, you better have a pretty darn good reason to say no. Um, so that's, that's how I feel about that. Turning down or turning down an assignment. Um, not really. I don't think, I don't, I can't think of a time where I've, where I've turned down an assignment or they said, Hey, we want you to go do this story. Uh, cause I started, you know, again, it started out as a news guy. Um, no. Um, but, you know, I think you can have discussions on how that story is done and how that assignment is carried out. You know, that's I think that's where discussions come in. How do you want to tell the story? And I think that's what that's where you have to, you know, like stand your ground and say, yeah, I'll do the story, but I want to do it this way. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's that kind of answers that. What's the best advice you were given when you were getting started in broadcasting? Um be yourself again. That's my dad. Um, and here, and what's important to me, look, we all grow up uh, and we're watching, you know, folks on the air. Look, like when I was in school and I'd, I'd watch Brent Musburger, um, <clears throat> I'd watch Bob Costas. Um, you know, I watched, you know, and I, and I think I, picked out things in, in their delivery and in the way they 
the way that they did their show and communicated that you thought, you know, that's really good. Um, but I was never like, well, I want to be him. I'm going to let me see. How does he do his tie? How does he do his, you know, do I need to look like this? How does he say this word? I think, I think you can run into problems that way. If, if you admire somebody's work, but if you just say, well, I just want to be the next him, then you're not being yourself. So that's, I think, I think then that makes it really hard when you get to work and you're having a bad day and suddenly you have to put on this other persona. No, you just have to be who you are. You can appreciate somebody's job. Um, but, um, I don't think, I don't, you know, we're all wired differently. We're all given skills in different ways. Use those, um, and don't use those to try to say, okay, th oh, this, I'm going to be, you know, and I, I think, I think you saw it, you know, I thought, I think you've seen guys try to be the next Charles. So I want to talk like Charles Stuart Scott broke, you know, Stuart Scott was awesome. And Stuart Scott kind of owned this. He was kind of the, as hip hop sportscaster. And, and he, and Stuart was awesome and a good friend. And I admired what he did, but you can't for the next, the next generation can't say, okay, I want to try to mimic that too. Cause, cause Stu didn't, that was Stu's deal, you know? And so let it be your deal. Like Stu did. Don't feel like, okay, I like him. So I'm going to try to absolutely be the next him. You know, be you. How many years of college do you recommend for sports media journalism? I, you know what, I, uh, I did your standard four, and um, I didn't really feel a need to go any go any further, or masters or any of that. I just, you know, it was like, um, and you know what's amazing to me too, is that my first two years, first two years in college, when you're doing all the stuff that you have to do, you know, and all those courses. And I was struggling, man. Uh, that was bad. Uh, but I found that once I got into uh, my, you know, that core curriculum kind of ate me up. But when I got into my major major field of study, it was like not even going to class. I loved learning that. And so um, to me, that's, um, you know, I, I learned all I could learn in those years. And then it was, um, hey, it's time to it's time to jump out there and do the job. When did you start getting comfortable with your job? I think, I think you get more comfortable with your job the, the longer you're in it, the more reps you get. Um, I think, I think it's, it's just, um, it can be nerve wracking when you start. It really can be. I mean, and it's, you know, the first time, the first time the light goes on and you're doing, you're doing the news or something. I mean, you're scared to death. I would rather have been having a, a, a root canal, uh, even though this is where I wanted to be. But when then that light went on, it was like, man, <laughs> this is scary. It's like being, a, being in the first car of the, uh, of the brand new roller coaster as you get to the top. It was scary. Uh, but then again, the more you do it, the more comfortable you become. And then, you know, to be in the situation I'm in now and have been doing, you know, at Turner for 30 years and for the last 20 working with Kenny and Chuck, I mean, you get a comfort level there that, you know, you're just working with your brothers and Shaq for the last, you know, eight years. You're just working with your friends. And it's just you're sitting around watching hoop and nobody's asking for permission to talk and you're comfortable. And um, but it's like it, it takes a while. And, and I think it takes experiencing lots of different things when the wrong tape rolls or something breaks and you're sitting out there on an island 
and you say, how am I going to get through this? And, and only by experiencing that uh, can you move past it into the, into the comfort zone. But it's going to happen to you. Um, and it's going to be, you know, that's the thing about these days. You do something on the air these days that's regrettable. It lives forever. It wasn't as bad back when I was when I was starting out because you didn't have, you know, YouTube and you didn't have uh, all of these uh, all these outlets that would, you know, somebody would see something and bang, suddenly it's on social. Uh, these days, man, you say something on the air that people laugh at, and then, you know, that makes you look bad. That thing's not going away. It's it's there forever. Did you ever cover Chuck, Ernie, or Shaq? I, I, I mean, it should be Kenny or Shaq as a reporter before you work with them at TNT. Yes, indeed. Um, I can remember one of the first stories I did um, uh, when I when when I started at TNT was going out. You know, was doing. I did a profile on on Barkley. Went out to Phoenix um, and hung with him for a day and a half. Uh, did the same thing with Shaq when he was still at LSU, went down to his home in San Antonio and hung out with him and his dad. And Shaq still talks about that. I do not remember doing anything with Kenny before he started working with us. Although he, he, Kenny's story was great because it was late in his career and he was doing some, you know, 10 day contracts and that kind of thing. And he actually came in to do a couple of shows because they wanted to see if, if he liked TV and if he, if he was going to fit. And, Tim Kiley, the producer, and I, after his first show, we said, man, when this guy calls and quits, we got to have him. He's that good. Kenny was just that natural. And so uh, it was me and Kenny before it was me and Kenny and Chuck. And um, so we kind of had a couple of years under our belt working together, and then Chuck joined in, and then Shaq, and it's been, uh, man, it's been a lot of fun. How important is it to like the people you work with in the sports journalism industry? Uh I don't know that it's. Um, I don't know that it's vital, but I know I love it. If that makes any sense, I mean, I, I think there are probably people who can have success, um, who may not get along entirely, and they're going to be. They're going to be times when you butt heads. Look, there. This is an ideas business, so I'm going to have an idea. Producer's going to have an idea. Graphics is going to have an idea. Guys are going to, you know, that's going to happen. But the greatest thing about this job for, I can say 40 years, but for 30 years at Turner has been the people. I mean, I work with the best people that you can ever imagine. And it is such a different feel than, than other entities. This is a, this is a family feel. And so, um, I, I love that and I appreciate that part of it. And I realize that other folks have successful careers in environments that aren't as, as good as the one that I'm in. So that's, um, that's kind of my answer to that. But I, I mean, everything I've ever done, I mean, look, I'm like, I'm like, and, until you've had, you know, opportunity to go like, this is our crew at the Goodwill Games in Brisbane. You know, it's like you spend that much time together uh, for that long. Um, there it is, me and Ted and did the same thing, doing some snake handling or something. Um, but it's always about the people you work with. It's, 
Bobby Clampett and Bill Kratzer, who I worked with in, you know, on golf, PGA Championship, uh, British Open. That's, that's the thing, is, is loving the people that you work with and respecting them. Um, so for me, that's huge. That's a huge part of the enjoyment of my job. Uh, but as I point out, I mean, there, there's plenty of people in the business who uh, don't get along with folks very well and still uh, have made careers for themselves, but I'll take the other way. How often do you get a rap in your ear on the show? Uh, from time to time, I think, I think both Tim Kiley and, um, and Jeremy Levin, who produced the show, have a real good feel for when something has run its course. So, you know, if the dialogue, if the, if the stuff back and forth is getting a little old in rap, you can rap, you can rap, you know. And so, yeah, you'll get that. Um, but they're also very good about saying, man, this is too good to cut off right now. You know, Shaq and Chuck are going at it. You know, Kenny's stirring it up. You know, this is good stuff. Um, and we'll make up the time somewhere else. And that's what you enjoy about it is the fact that nobody's tied to the stopwatch. You know, the, the rap we get mainly is because, you know, the, the, the topic has run its course and it's starting to get really boring. And so, rap. Um, let me see what time we got. Got time for a few more. I know I was going to do this for an hour, but, um, but man, this has been so much fun. I, if I, enjoy, I enjoy talking to you all, and I'm glad you did this. And I, um, I would love to hear what you I would love to hear what you guys want to would like to hear and who you'd like to hear from. Um, and I mean, if, if you would, if you'd like to hear like from underdog, I can try to talk Joe Underhill, who is our research guy um, for him to do this. Maybe there's enough questions that, that you'd like to know about how you do that job. Um, so we'll try to, uh, we'll try to make that happen. But if nobody says, yeah, we got to have underdog, then, Joe, I'm sorry. Um, in a time like this with no games to call broadcast, how do you recommend improving? Um, that's, a, you know, that's interesting. Um, I, think, I think you're always trying to, and I see a couple of good questions on here. Um, I think you're always trying to get better. Um, and I, you know what? I needed this. As much as I wanted to kind of give you guys an outlet, too, for asking, I kind of needed this, too. I know it's, it's been very strange in what is normally my busiest time of the year, uh, transitioning from the NBA to March Madness and then back to the NBA playoffs to be not off the air. So this has been kind of fun to do that. Um, uh, and then I'll uh, worry about looking at tapes and that kind of stuff uh, later. But I still do that. I'll still watch, you know, I'll still watch a show – you know, we'll do an inside the NBA show on Thursdays and on Friday, you know, NBA TV runs them and I'll watch them sometimes and say, I want to see how I want to see what my lead into that piece looked like because I didn't, you know, I haven't seen it yet. So and again, you have to you have to look at it and say, oh, I could have that could have been written better. I could have used a different phrase there. Or how did I ask that first question to that player? That could have been a better question. That's those are always the kind of things that you that you're uh, trying to to uh, improve on. Any tips for live shots? 
Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> um, live shots are funny because I remember, I remember um, when we were you know, at, at Channel 2 when I started out, you know, and you're trying so hard to, um, to get everything down. And they want you to, you know, they want you to walk and talk at the same time for this live shot that leads into this tape. And then you come back out and do this, or you're doing a live shot at 11 o'clock at night when something happened at two o'clock in the afternoon there, and there's nothing happening. Um, <clears throat> and so you're trying to kind of make a reason for, for why you're doing it. You know, it's really dark here right now, but nine hours ago, this place was buzzing with activity. You know, um, sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's just they want you live because it has to, it has to fit the, you know, the local news thing, uh, dedicated, determined, dependable, live, late-breaking, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I just think, I think you need, I think one of the best things about doing live shots, and I think it's one of the best things about making you a better reporter is that a lot of the times, in, in fact, my experience was you never had a you never had a teleprompter out there when you were doing a live shot. This was all off there. This was all okay. Organize the thoughts in your head and do it. And I think that makes you a better broadcaster overall when you're not reliant on on a uh, on a teleprompter when you're in the studio because uh, you can kind of get lulled into this sense of okay, I'm just going to read this. <clears throat> but I think I think it behooves you to know the material well enough so that when the teleprompter breaks, you could still do that lead in without having it. If that makes any sense, know what you want to say. And that way, uh, and I think a lot of times it comes off much more naturally uh, when you're just kind of speaking to the audience um, and not reading it and saying, <clears throat> I mean, for instance, if we were doing this, it sure is nice for you that you have all joined me today to, uh, to talk about broadcasting. It has been my pleasure. You know, let's talk, you know, talk to the talk to the camera uh, like it's another person and don't always worry about, oh, but it's not written down there. Uh, it comes off a lot more natural. Um, what kept you from becoming discouraged when you were just starting out with journalism? I just think uh, part of that is is just uh, self-confidence uh, and knowing deep down inside that I think I'm good enough to do this. Um and having, you know, having been on the radio while I was in school, I was like, you know, somebody thought I was decent enough uh, to give me that job. So I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep on doing this. And, I, you know, if you flood the market with enough tapes, there may be somebody out there who says, yeah, we'll take a shot. We'll take a shot at you. Um, and, and so I think that uh, that helps you uh, keep from being discouraged. But yeah, it happens. OK, but, you know, that's a. You know, it's it's through those kind of trials where you get tested and, and where you're, uh, you know, you got to be, um, you got to persevere, and and keep the faith. Somebody is gonna somebody is gonna give you a shot. A G League team is moving to my town. How do I get involved without connections? Junior in college. Well, you may not have connections, but you have to make your own. I mean, you've got to, you've got to find out who's in charge. You've got to find out who's, who's the director of broadcasting, who, who, when are these people going to be in? You know, that's the great thing about the internet these days is that you can find every information about any 
organization that you need. You need to find out who the CEO is of this, look them up, find them out. Okay, who's this? Who's their PR director? I think that those are the kind of things that you just have to do with a lot of, with a lot of work on your own. Uh, even though you may not have anybody that can say, hey, I can get you, I can get you in there. Um, I think that's where you have to, uh, you have to, you don't want to be uh, uh, that annoying. You want to be a little annoying. You want them to know who you are, um, but you have to keep it up. You know, you cannot, you cannot just, you cannot just say, oh, I don't want to bother you. Um, look, if, if you've applied and somebody has said, hey, yeah, we'll get back to you. Or here, here's a number to call. Then jump, you jump on it. And, and if you haven't heard back in the time they said you were going to hear back, then you call them back. Hey, just want to make sure that we're still in the mix, you know. So uh, be persistent. Um, but not to the point where when the phone rings, they say, oh, it's him. Forget it. Yes, underdog for sure. Okay, I'm going to work on, we'll have to work on underdog. I was thinking about getting Scott Van Pelt on here at some point, too, if, you, if you'd be interested in that. I think Scott's great. Um, um, Jerry Greenberg's done a great job anchoring and being, and being a uh, um, uh, sideline reporter. He, he'd be valuable. I talked to Greg Gumbel today and uh, told him what we were doing. Um, actually, it was yesterday, and I texted him. I said, "Man, I'd love for you to take an hour with these with these students." And he said, "He says I do no social media, and this is great. I mean, it's like Chuck. He said I don't do any social media, and I don't play golf. And be, for all those reasons, uh, I have avoided so many headaches in my life. So I can understand that. So Greg Gumble will not be joining us, but again, as I said, James Brown will be, and I think it, it might be helpful too if you guys are interested. I can try to get some." Uh, some studio folks, uh, production folks, who can talk about all the jobs that are available off the air. You know, that if you don't want to be, you know, sitting on the desk and yapping, um, all, the, all the, the jobs that are out there. Um, so let's, let's work on that and, and just stay on my, on my uh, you know, check my Twitter every now and then because I'll give you, um, you know, kind of a roadmap for where we're going next. And please send to me, say, hey, here's some guys we'd like to hear, uh, like, would like to hear from. So I would be happy to try to put the call out and get some folks in there. Jim Nance would be fantastic. Yes, he would be. Um, Kevin Harlan. Yeah, see if, I'll see if Kevin Harlan could do this. There are so many. Um, and, you know, what the great thing about it, you guys, is that, is that we all have different stories to tell. We all have different ways that we got to where we are. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, it maybe my story doesn't resonate with you. Maybe Brian Anderson's will. You know, when you hear about him Thursday, when he, when he does this and talks about how he went from stat man to play-by-play guy and, and the stops in between, you're going to, you know what you're going to do is you're going to say, you know what, I can do this. I can do this. And I hope, that's, I hope that you're encouraged um, by what you hear from everybody that we've got. So stay on my feed. I'll let you know where we're heading next, but you already know. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Seth Davis, awesome on TV, incredible writer. He's here at 2 o'clock Eastern. Uh, so you just, you just go to his, um, his Twitter page, just like you went to mine, at Seth Davis Hoops, 2 o'clock tomorrow, 2 Eastern. Um, and we'll keep you posted on, on the other guys and how you can watch. Uh, thank you, guys. And, hey, we're going to get through this thing, okay? Um, it's not easy. It's difficult for all of us. 
Um, but uh, I'm a big uh, I'm a big faith over fear guy, and uh, and uh, hope that you are too. Love you. Thanks a lot for doing this. We'll see you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute, and Grady Sports.